Hello and welcome to Feminist Fridays, your weekly intersectional dose of self-empowerment and equality. I'm your host, Sarah Liberty, coming to your airwaves from Sydney. And this week we have a guest who is going to talk about an issue that is very close to my heart, the mental health impact of social media and how it is the new frontier for gendered violence. Her name is Suzanne Leduna and she is the CEO of Plan International Australia, an organisation that helps communities and governments do what's right for children, particularly for girls. But before we hear from Suzanne, I'd like to kick off with a new track by Sia and David Getter called Let's Love. Because it's Friday and I'm in love.
Suzanne, and welcome to Feminist Fridays. Hi, Sarah. It's so great to be with you. Thank you for joining us. So I wanted to ask, before we get into some of the incredibly inspiring things um, that you're doing in your current role, where did you grow up? What, What was it like for you growing up and what were some of your early influences? Um, so um, I grew up in Western Australia um, in a place called Spearwood, which is near Fremantle. Uh-huh. I'm the eldest of uh, four girls. Um, my dad is a, a, a boiler maker and a welder. He can kind of fix and make anything. He, is, uh, he had been born in Italy and had come to Australia after the war. And um, my mum is a cleaner in a hospital. So um, we grew up. Um, in a working class family mm. um, where my parents had never finished high school. So education was really prized and they really encouraged us to do well at school. I was the first person in my family to finish high school or to go to university. Um, but they were incredibly loving. Sport was big in our house. So I was an athlete. I did gymnastics. I played netball. Um, and I, everyone in my family played sport of some kind. Um, and but I was the eldest, so I had quite a lot of sort of um, trailblazing to do in my family. Let's mm-hmm. let's say in terms of being the first girl, and I spent a lot of time having arguments with my dad about um, you know being able to just go out unaccompanied, stay out, go and see a band, see you know hang out with my friends. And I remember this big debate that we had all the time, which was really around. He kept saying to me. You know, if you were a boy, this would be different. And I remember really railing against that and this idea that that should make any kind of difference and that somehow my freedom was being policed by the actions of boys and men. And so I think that was an early seed for me in terms of my real kind of interest in forging a way forward for myself and for other women as well. That's so fascinating that you mentioned because I am the eldest as well. I'm the eldest. I have two younger brothers, but I certainly was the trailblazer or the rule breaker in my family. I was the one that had to challenge my parents for very similar things. Like could Mm. I go out to a concert? Could I go out unaccompanied at a certain age? Um, And... Both my parents are working class as well. My dad's a farmer and my mum's a teacher. Mm. And I was also really encouraged. Both my parents did go to university, but certainly education and, um, you know, academia was highly, I guess, valued in my family too. So I really can relate to you on that sort of aspect. And Mm. I... I was also very sporty. I was in the swim team and I played water polo. I can't believe I'm doing. I'm saying that now. I'm like, oh my gosh, these days. I mean, I love the beat, but um, I was very sporty. But I was more in. I was one of the school captains. I was the drama yeah, captain. Right. It's quite hilarious to look back and go. Of course, I was a drama captain. Looking at my career now, but <laughs> um, recently um, on Facebook. Some friends sent this um, picture of us when we must have been in year 12 and our school had done well in this inter-school carnival. And so it had this picture of all these 
ago, um, you know, women who were aged between, you know, 14, I guess, and 17, all with very 80s hair don'ts. Amazing. I couldn't, you know, and we were all trying to recognise all the people that we were. But I, and someone said to me, oh, you know, what, what events were you in? And I actually could not recall for the life of me any event that I was in. But I just remember that we won the relay. And the reason why I re remember it was because I did it with my friends. And so for me, sport was a lot about, like, I think I learned a lot about teamwork and a lot about working with other people. And so, and I love the idea of being physically strong. It's something I really encourage now with, you know, my own daughter that, you know, being strong in your body, being physically strong and feeling like you can do hard things, actually are really, really good things to have in your toolbox. Absolutely. Now, I just wanted to say there's no such thing as an 80s hair don't. I'm, <laughs> I'm someone who experiments with my hair all the time and I love a good 80s hairstyle. So, oh, Well, I'll don't. send you this Facebook photo and I think that you will agree with me that there were a lot of hair don'ts in this image. No, there's no shame. No shame. <laughs> I'm a big fan of 80s hair. So let's talk about your current role at Plan International Australia. Where did you, how did you, what took you, took you to this position? What was your journey to this role and, and what do you do in your, in your role? Mm. So um, I'm the C CEO of Plan International Australia. I still find it, like I still pinch myself when I say that. Um, and my journey there in a way is like a full circle. I started, you know, when I was a teenager, you talked about influences. I was very involved in this um, kind of student movement that was really run for by and among secondary school students, like a precursor to the climate school strikes. We were really interested in kind of, I guess, social justice and taking action in our own lives. And I um, got really involved in that and got a lot of opportunities to sort of develop my leadership and meet incredible people all over the world. So I always had this kind of interest in like that global community. And then I worked with that organisation as like a community organiser, working with secondary school students and working with workers and unemployed people for many years. Through uni, I, I worked in all kinds of sort of service delivery. I worked with young pregnant women who were having their babies and supporting them in accommodation. I worked with homeless women. I worked in um, sort of domestic violence shelters. So I kind of saw kind of that service delivery side the first hand and I was I kept thinking there's got to be a way to prevent some of these problems from occurring in the first place. I want to be involved in that. So I had this kind of keen interest in like politics and how change happens and I've spent yeah. most of my life, I've, I've worked for a senator in South Australia for many years I've worked in the public service. I've worked as a chief of staff for a minister in Victoria. And I think my story is a lot about learning how change happens in all these different ways. And I had um, come to plan. I'd worked for a minister for an entire term. I was completely tired and burnt out. I'd had the phone stuck to my ear for, it felt like 24 hours for four years. And we, um, uh, the the I was always my the minister I was working for was retiring so I was always going to finish up and I was so burnt out I had a rest afterwards and I was looking for my next role and I saw this role that said um, a chief of staff to the CEO at Plan International Australia um, 
know, this is an organisation that's really working for the world's most vulnerable children. It's working for equality for girls. We don't just work for children. We work with children and young people. And I was like really intrigued because I was like, that's, that's, you know, that kind of connected me to my own youth. And at the same time, I'd been trying to have a baby for a really long time and it wasn't happening for me. Two of my sisters had had um, children that year that had little girls. And I kind of, I'd started to think, oh, maybe I'm not going to have kids of my own, but, you know, maybe I can be an awesome auntie and maybe I can, like, take everything I know about how change happens and I can kind of work for an organisation and put all of that, you know, um, kind of at the service of the world's poorest children and maybe... That will be a way to live a meaningful life and feel like I'm, I can make good of what is maybe a sad situation. So I kind of came to plan for those two reasons in my life. I was at a point where I was wanting a family and I was at a point where I was really drawn. I mean, in politics, you spend a lot of time managing issues and managing stakeholders and trying to make sure that things don't get in the newspaper. And I was like, my next job, I'm going to get things in the newspaper. I want to do something creative and positive. I'm going to work really hard to create um, a more equal, better, um, more just kind of society. And I'm going to use everything I've learned about how politics happens to make that a reality. So that's how I came to plan. First is this executive manager role. Later on, I worked in establishing our advocacy efforts two years ago. I applied for the CEO position when it came up and I got it and I have, I've, <laughs> it's the hardest and the best, most rewarding job I've ever done. Um, I get to work with a hundred of the, you know, in, in Australia, you know, cleverest, most dedicated, hardworking people and I'm part of a global effort to really try to shift the dial for um, the world's poorest children and to really try to create equality for girls. So. It's a job where I get up every day, um, you know, kind of, I do leap out of bed. I, I do feel like, oh, I've got so much to do and I've got, we've got so much work to do, um, but I'm really inspired by it and inspired by the young people I get to work with. The next thing I wanted to talk about is the campaign that mm. you are about to launch, um, which is talking about something that is very uh, close to my heart, which mm. is that social media or online technology is a new frontier for gendered violence. And mm. as someone who survived this, I've been, mm. I've had um, emails and social media accounts hacked and I've been trolled. I couldn't agree with you more that this is a really it's a it's an issue that we really need to address on a societal level. But can you tell us more about what your campaign's called and you know where yeah. did you, how did you get to this point? Well, Sarah, first can I just say I'm really sorry that that's happened to you. Um, I really feel like I'm um, having done. We've just done this research as Plan International Australia across 32 countries with 14,000 young people, young women, and girls. And they are telling us that that kind of um, gender-based violence online is ubiquitous and worldwide. Mm. And yeah. unfortunately, um, it's a far too frequent occurrence. Um, and what they're telling us is, you know, it happens for two reasons. It happens, you know, because they're girls and then it happens if they speak out. 
in particular mm-hmm. uh, if they start to speak out and if you're lgbti or if you're a black indigenous or a person of color it's it's worse again yeah and so we have launched this campaign it's called free to be online two years ago when we started to really talk about this whenever i talk to people about it they just say you know people should just get off get off those platforms and no. i kind of was like why should we no. like why should girls get off platforms i mean they have the right to be everywhere and exactly. i think during this um global pandemic you know we've come to realize how important you know the sort of online world is for connection for relationship for work for study and so many girls have been pushed online in ways that um, they weren't even before the pandemic. We have to make sure that that is a space where people are really free to be um, free of discrimination, harassment, assault, the kinds of things that you're sort of describing. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I remember people saying to me is that there's this kind of perception that what happens online is kind of not real. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not as painful it doesn't have the same effect as if it were to happen to you on the street and that's just not true I mean what the research is telling us what young women are saying to us and I'm sure this is what you know your own lived experience would say is it does have real and lasting implications for your life it can make you reduce your self-esteem it can um, create real fear or anxiety it can have men it can contribute to mental health issues it does it is real and it does um really manifest in ways that have long lasting consequences. So we've got to we've got to really take this seriously. I mean I think the environment can be fabulous for connection and empowerment for activism as well, but until we find a way to create it to be um, a safe environment for everybody, I think we're going to have you know these these real it is it's kind of like the new frontier for gender-based violence. I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. It is actually, but one thing I will agree with you is that I I think it is absolutely unrealistic, and it's certainly I wouldn't no I I would don't like hearing when people say well I just have to get off, offline certain or delete certain apps or be off certain platforms because that's not realistic. We live most of our everyday lives now online, and everyone and has the same I mean I because I'm the human rights nerd that I am I know that our online human rights are no different to our offline human rights and that's a UNHCR declaration yeah and yeah. everyone has the right to be treated equally and with dignity online yeah and one thing that I've discovered through just having conversations with people and doing research for my own organization is that so many people don't even realise that they have rights online. And this is, you know, this is something that I'm really, really passionate about raising awareness of because exactly everyone should be free to be online no matter who they are. Um, As you probably realise, I'm an intersectional feminist and I believe in equality broadly for everyone. So I think... When as soon as I heard about your campaign, I picked up the phone to your mm. um, your team, your colleague Charlotte, and said, "Yes, I'm 100% behind this because I I know that this is concerning, but I'm an optimist. I really mm. believe that we can turn this around." With regards to Australia, I mean, what do you think are some of the more 
concerning things for you with regards to the campaign? Because I know that you said you've done international research, but mm. is there anything in particular that you're noticing in Australia? Well, for, I mean, 65% of girls and young women aged 15 to 25 said they'd been exposed to um, a, a sort of a spectrum of online violence. Mm. The global figures were 58%. So it could mm. be to do with the fact that so many girls in Australia are actually online and on in diff- on different platforms. Yeah. One in five of them said that they... Uh, had feared for their physical safety due to Mm. online threats Mm. and a large proportion of them indicated that their first experience of online harassment or abuse occurred um, for them between the ages of 11 and 16, which I think picks up on your point about people not knowing their rights. I mean, 11-year-olds, 15-year-olds may not be aware that actually this is wrong. You're not allowed to do this. This is um, unacceptable behaviour and you don't have to put up with it. Mm. I think it's, you know, it's kind of targeting young people at a time when they are potentially vulnerable and also unaware of either how to report or that, that even the behaviour is is not acceptable or, or I was thinking about this, like if this happened to me when I was 11 and people started sending me explicit content or I might not even know what it was and then I wouldn't know whether I could talk to my parents about it and oh, I think I'd feel quite embarrassed. I don't even know if I'd be able to talk to my friends about it. So I think it can have this real impact where the other thing about it, it's happening inside your home, you know, like it's it's happening to you, but you're in your bedroom. Yeah. It's yeah. happening to you in your house. Um, and I think people are, that this idea that people are feeling uh, sort of their physical safety is feeling threatened due to online um, attacks or assaults is really worrying and concerning for me. And I do think we can do something about it. I think what young yeah. women in this campaign have said is we ask them, you know, what is the single action that you want us to focus on to amplify your voice in this research? And they said social media companies have to lift their game. It is not good enough to create the roads without creating the, the guardrails and that the mechanisms for reporting are either inaccessible or inadequate, that, um, you know, you can report or block people but they, you know, pop up again days later or in another form or people are reporting things that are, you know, clearly unacceptable and are being told that it meets community standards or they're just not being taken seriously. So I think um, what our campaign is doing is launching this open letter, which has been written by young women who've been part of the research, which is really calling on social media companies to lift. They say they police, you know, around community standards. Well, we're saying we, um, we young women plus our allies of are going to put pressure on you to really lift that tide and say to you that your standards are not good enough. You've got to lift them up and you've got to create the environment where um, people can operate in these environments safely. And what's more, you've got to really engage young women in the process of designing some of these tools. Mm. From the get-go, you can't just go technology is neutral, it's not gendered. It is. And the way it's used is it reflects the society in which it's created. And I think if we're not building in those views from the get-go, we are perpetuating the same inequities that we have offline in the online space. And I think we've got an opportunity there to actually create something better, more equal, fairer, safer. Yeah. I think the one word that, that you really hit a chord with me on is engagement. I... I am someone who studied diplomacy and I believe that that 
the way that we are going to create change is through dialogue. And I can completely agree with you that it is really important for young women's the voices of the voices of young women, but the voices of everyone to be heard. Yes, yes. But I think what I know, and you probably know as well, is that at the moment social media companies are taking a liability approach rather than a responsible approach. We don't know who's moderating their content. We don't mm. know how much of it's moderated by algorithms. I mean, obviously, you know, we probably both know there was a recent suicide streaming mm. online yes. that lasted, was up for about three hours. Mm. Now, that's unacceptable. So yes. what we need to know, but I'm I'm also someone who, who doesn't believe in strong-arming tech platforms. I believe that we all need to work together yeah. to say, okay, what can we do to make this online world, which is an extension of the offline world, I don't believe that we should be treating them as two no. separate dimensions. How can we make it a place that is positive, free and equal as equal as possible for all and how can we make sure that people know what being a good digital citizen is um and and i think also you know when you talk about young women or young people i really think and i do know that this is happening in some schools but there does need to be education at an early age i mean lots of students now use laptops and tablets in schools or computers in schools. My mum's a primary school teacher and all of her children use interactive um, whiteboards and tablets and things like that. So I think that, but there needs to be education, not just about this is what you don't do. It's, it's, it's about this is what your rights are. You have yeah. the right to exist in this space feeling safe and yeah. feeling yeah. like it's, a good, fun, optimistic place to connect, which I think is sadly, I think is sadly one of the the things that's occurring and people are starting to, there's a lot of distrust that's happening with people and tech platforms um, and there seems to be, I mean, I'm I'm a little bit concerned about, you know, the government in Australia and tech platforms are basically going to war at the moment mm. over the new ACCC code of conduct. To me, that just doesn't seem right. I, I really believe that we're not going to get these sorts of address, issues addressed until we start working in a more collective manner and that includes involving organisations such as yours mine and tech platforms and government and law enforcement and all stakeholders and young people, everyone with an interest in the internet, to engage and to start talking about, well, this is what the, you know, this is what the ultimate goal should be. How are we going to get there? So I'll be signing, don't worry, I'll be signing that open letter. Yeah, great. You. Well, I, I really agree with you. I think um, we've started having some dialogue with some of the companies and, you know, what, what's really interesting is even in terms of their reporting, they're not really collecting data that's disaggregated around gender or age or issues. So th there's not a lot of understanding even about the scale of the issue or what it looks like. So there are some practical things we can just do by working together to kind of even start to 
um, really um, kind of clarify like how big is this issue and where is this issue and how is it manifesting and then kind of together I really think through what some of the possibilities are for creating as you say a kind of you know, um, an environment that is a place where everybody is really free to be. Hmm. So I wanted to just say, um, as you probably, well, I'm sure you you know, um, and I know, Australia is a signatory to the UN Declaration of Human Rights mm. and to CEDAW and is a member of the UNHCR. And what do you think our government is doing or could be doing better to help address this issue? I mean, I've already touched on the fact that I think more collective action is needed, but is there anything that you'd like to see our government do more progressively? I think in this space of like um, one of the things that I I think you've already touched on this is in some ways the technology has got ahead of the policy, the laws Um, and the approach. Yeah. It's like the government's always lagging behind, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's got to really engage with, like, this is where people are spending large parts of their time and um, this is where your citizenry is. You have to kind of keep pace with the technology and make sure that you're having the kind of regulatory environment, the laws that match, the support, the education around it, as you said, the digital literacy, the digital safety around it. That kind of builds the support needed, if you like. I don't think that the government is keeping pace with the technological yeah. advancements. It's not building out the policy frameworks, the regulatory frameworks, the laws, the education that's needed, if you like, the community understanding around these kind of platforms that would allow them to flourish, but in a way that was kind of consistent with um, the kind of society that we're trying to create. Mm. Yes, I mean, I, yeah, I completely agree with you. And what's frustrating is that different states have different laws regarding mm. what to do if you are being targeted or by technology facilitated violence, for example. You know, mm. if you're a woman that's being harassed or abused or feeling unsafe, some states state that coercive um, yes. language is is appropriate or is um, could deem someone to be uh, um, served like an apprehended violence order. But some states don't. I think New South Wales doesn't. Victoria does. So it's just confusing. It is quite confusing. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think we all need to work together because... um, and, and, you know, I think another thing that makes me just kind of throw my hands up in the air is when I see the government at the moment uh, bringing out this new ACCC code and basically Google and Facebook kind of going to war with them. Mm-hmm. I just but our Prime Minister relied on Facebook advertising primarily much more than the Labor Party did to win the last election. So the, I just don't see the government winning and in any kind of, uh, in this scenario. And I don't think that this tactic of strong arming is going to work. I think that, um, and I'm sorry to go off on a bit of a tangent. No, no, I mean, I, I think I think it's so interesting, but I think it's, 
it really is the conversation of the moment. You know, people are watching that documentary, The Social Dilemma, um, on Netflix at the moment. And I think that is kind of, you know, if you are not paying for it, you are the product. And people need to think about, you know, how happy they are with those those mechanisms and methods. And as as we can see, you know, I think it is contributing to kind of, you know, algorithms and bubbles where you're sort of inside a world and you're not being exposed to other ideas and not necessarily connecting or creating that kind of dialogue that you talked about that's so essential to us actually, you know, getting insight into each other and understanding different perspectives and kind of being able to learn to see things from a different point of view. All of these things are actually essential to how do we create that um, that more positive, more inclusive, more equal world that we're talking about. So I think you're right. There is a kind of irony in that about governments want to, wanting to regulate the same environments that they're exploiting for their um, political benefit. Mm-hmm. But I think we have to kind of, I think it's around this community standards thing, you know. I think if they're saying we respond to the community, then our job is in the community to lift the awareness of some of these things and the standards that we want to see expressed and we have to co-create some of the solutions together. Definitely. So I'm a big believer, as I've said, I'm an optimist in every individual's ability to create change in whatever way they feel comfortable. So whether that's through activism, advocacy, volunteer work, or simply sharing something that's like a self-empowering, positive social media post. What do you think? And I'm really curious to hear about what some of the youth that you're working with on this campaign, Mm -hmm. um, what do you think that, you know, if you were to share advice to our listeners that they could do, like maybe, you know, some three simple things or things that they can do to feel more self-empowered online? So I think do the basic things, you know. Um, the standard that you walk by is kind of the standard you accept. So if you're seeing, um, you know, exchanges online that you think are bordering on uh, abusive or um, uh, challenging your values, then, you know, speak up, reach out to the person, you know, private message them, make sure that they're okay, report it. Be a good bystander. I think we can all do that. We can we cannot just scroll up, you know, scroll through and think not my battle, not one that I have to engage in. I think we have to do that. I would say sign this letter, you know, this open letter. It's a way of amplifying amplifying the voices of these very diverse young women who are saying we've got to create a much safer, um, less discriminatory environment online. And I think by signing that letter, that open letter, you're kind of helping us to lift the tide on the community standards front and the other thing is think about your own just just reflect I think the thing I would ask people to do is just be mindful keep growing and learning yourself in whatever way works for you um be careful what you share you know think about the consequences if you're not sure of the accuracy of something really consider how it can be perceived um be aware that you are contributing to creating this online environment and everything you share everything you like everything you post is contributing in a positive or a negative way to that. And you can control the part of the world that you're creating being on the side of good. Yeah, definitely. I'm 100% with you on that. I think one of the things that we at Just Social really want to promote is the UNESCO concept of being yeah. a good digital citizen. Yeah. And that really involves 
being very conscious of the language that you use online. It's extremely mm. important. Don't say something to someone that you wouldn't say to them to their face in public or, you know, out loud in a room or, or just think very carefully about treating everyone equally and with dignity and also about the imagery that you share. Mm. Mm. Always think carefully about what you're posting and what kind of impact or influence that might have on other people and be careful if you're creating your own content that you know about plagiarism rules mm. and be careful not to, you know, reshare or plagiarise someone else's content. So mm. tell me about your letter because I need to find it and sign it. Yep. And yeah, I'm sure. sure that many of my listeners would also love to mm. do so and so would all of my team and my network. So where can we find it? Yeah, so um, you can find it on our website, plan.org.au. Mm-hmm. and uh, it'll be prominent on that website. It's called uh, Free to Be Online. There's an open letter there for you to sign on to. It's been created by this really diverse group of young women from across the globe. I really am very proud of it because it's in their words. It's um, based on the research and the evidence that we've been able to collect, and it's really a very specific ask to social media companies to really lift their game, especially in relation to reporting, which girls themselves said they felt would have the most amount of impact on their lives if that were to change. So um, be a good ally, amplify their voices, sign on to the letter. It's a way of saying, you know, we don't agree with, um, we don't agree that, you know, the online environment is a place where abuse should proliferate. It's a way of putting your energy, your spirit, your effort into something really positive And I think that um, if we can get enough people to do that, I think we will also have a platform from which we can really engage with these social media companies. They will have to listen to us if we're able to get large numbers of people to sign on and say, you know, really we have a a constituency here that really care about this and that want you to do better and want you to improve this. So that's that's what I'd ask people to do. Um, it, It won't take very long, but it'll mean a lot. Absolutely. And I really love that you are saying that you're not speaking for the young people that you represent. It's in their words. It's their voice. Mm. And I'm I'm someone who's also very conscious of never, because I've worked in human rights roles and humanitarian organisations, of never speaking for people, always giving people the opportunity to raise their own voice and self-empower them. So. Um, Yes, like I said, we'll, I'll certainly be signing your letter. So I just, Research will be there too. So if people want to read the research, the global research, the Australian yeah. research, what I think is really powerful about it, it gives you the statistics, but there's all, it's peppered with these really powerful, power, you know, just anecdotes and experiences people have had about, you know, how, you know, when we say this, what do we mean? What are, what's the kind of stuff we're talking about? So know for parents or others who might not be as familiar with what we're talking about it's a really powerful they're really powerful reports to read to get a bit of an insight into the kind of experiences that girls and young women are experiencing in the day-to-day. It sounds fantastic Suzanne. I just wanted to finish off by asking generally how can my listeners continue to follow interact with you or support the incredible work that Plan International Australia is doing. So mm. feel free you can, 
Yep. I am. I'm going to say, yeah, you can you can follow us at Plan International Australia. We've got Twitter, Instagram, Facebook pages that you can be part of. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Suzanne Legina, my name. Yeah. Um, I'd love to have dialogue with people and I'm I'm really interested in building that bigger community of people who are change makers interested in these kinds of issues. Um, follow us on socials. There'll be lots of ways that you can get involved in this action and others that we take. Get to know some of the youth activists who've helped to shape this research as they tell you in their own words what, what their experience has been like and also why they want change to happen. Um, Donate if you've got um, the capacity to do that. We use your resources to further our work in the world. Um, you know, the thing I would say is follow us, get to know us a bit better, become part of our community for change. We need more people in the world who are really trying to shift the dial on some of this stuff and we're never going to be able to do it alone. So we need to kind of join up all the movements trying to do this. All power to your um, Sarah and your organisation as well. It's going to take a lot of us doing everything we can in the ways that we are able to shift the dial on some of this stuff and we have to work together to make that happen. Yeah, we would absolutely love to collaborate with you. So I'm certain that we will continue the dialogue on, online and offline. So yeah. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us this Friday. I'm really, really you know, it's wonderful, the campaign that you're launching. I'm a huge supporter of it, so I'll be signing it and making sure that I'm sending it around to people. Um, so thank you again. Thank you. Oh, thank you. You've made my day. It's been so great to talk to you and to learn a little bit more about you. And I just, you know, I wish every day was, a, you know, a feminist day, but I'm glad that we have Feminist Fridays at least. Well, that has been another fierce episode of Feminist Fridays for this week. But before you sashay into the long weekend, I'd like to leave you with a track by the Australian icon that is Kili Minogue, that is French for Kylie. It's called Magic because I believe we all have our own superpowers and I think that with a little bit of stardust and responsible use of social media, the future will get brighter. And I'll be back next Friday with another exciting intersectional guest. Mm -hmm.